This is Ramsey Radio, the farming and farm machinery podcast from Ramsey Brothers, partnering farmers since 1950. Hello and welcome to Ramsey Radio, the South Australian ag podcast brought to you by Ramsey Brothers. Thanks as always for joining us and I'm your host, Tim Glover. And my guest today is joining us from Agricultural Victoria. He's well-known agronomist and climate specialist and author of climate newsletter, The Break. Dale Gray, welcome to Ramsey Radio. Hello, Tim. It's great to be here. We'll launch straight into it, Dale. You've been publishing The Break for a long time now. uh, And there's a South Australian edition uh, supported by GRDC Investment. But what's the background? How did it get started and, and how did it come about? Well, we're putting about uh, 15 years of it out now in Victoria. And that's um, where I've looked at some dozen models from around the world uh, every month and looked at their predictions of what they're, what they're thinking the Pacific and the Indian Ocean is going to do and what the rainfall and the temperature predictions have been for Victoria for the coming sort of three-month outlook. So it's the, it's the medium-term uh, climate outlook as opposed to a weather outlook that sort of goes out to seven days. And it first came about because um, no such thing existed, I suppose. It's like a lot of things. My boss, Chris Soundis, at the time in Horsham, uh, said, do you reckon you can have a go at this, Dale? Because, um, you know, the the official people in the world said that they sort of couldn't do that. They'd be unable to make comment on other people's models. It really needed an independent person to have a look at that and do that. So we did. We, we had a look at a few and put it out. Um, and the and the rest is history, Tim. We've been going uh, for, yeah, fifth is our 16th year. Um, this is our fourth year of doing it for South Australia, though. So we're a little bit behind there, but it's been great to do that for SA, um, Tasmania and Southern New South Wales uh, with thanks to GRDC. Absolutely. And, and clearly, uh, you know, given the uh, the 15 year longevity of it, the relevance and the uptake, um, you know, of the readers and the, and the people out there was obviously uh, pretty strong. Yeah, it goes out to um, a little over 4,000 subscribers, uh, none of those of which we've pushed poll to be, be, be subscribers. They've only done that from sort of word of mouth, really, and, and subscribe because they've wanted to. And it's yeah, it's really the fact that we're looking at a, a range of models. We look. I'd like to think we're we're looking at you know some of the biggest computers in the world, uh, the outputs from those, and it's amazing how often a lot of the models are seeing the same sorts of things and predicting the same sorts of stuff, and that kind of gives us much greater confidence of what might happen. The obvious uh, the obvious foray from that is, and it leads to a question which must be on uh, many farmers' lips. Obviously, uh, this summer we've seen, uh, you know, some strange things happen, if we could use that as, as some terminology. In your opinion, what happened with our weather this summer? So it really started in October. And it even, I mean, it was a bit interesting in spring too, Tim, because it was, it was, it was particular. September was very ordinary. Pretty much the tap pretty much turned off in South Australia in, um, in September, which is a critical month, as, it, as is August. Um, and then October sort of stumbled along, and then November, the tap turned on exactly when the majority of people wish it hadn't. Of course, what had happened previous to that rainfall happening in November um, was that we did, in fact, have uh, La Nina uh, actually formed in uh, October, and um, and this is because the Pacific Ocean had reinvigorated itself, but it sort of tried to do a few things during the year. It really got kind of nowhere near it. And there in late spring, it finally really actually fired up and became the real thing. Now, La Nina means all sorts of things, but but essentially it it meant that the Pacific Ocean had got a particular level of coldness out in the middle of the Pacific. 
We had much stronger trade winds blowing over the whole western half of the Pacific along the equator, and those trade winds were pushing warmer than normal water to the north of Australia. Uh, that warmer water was evaporating more moisture into the atmosphere, and that meant there was a, a better moisture source to the north of Australia if someone had the chance and the ability to get a connection to it. And of course, what uh, happened in that that November uh, was we had we had a series of three events coming through. One on the 12th of November was a low that was forming really at the top of the Air Peninsula. It was a low that was a very far north. But lows, of course, are lifting mechanisms to allow moisture to fall out of the sky. And that low uh, formed and got a really good connection into the Indian Ocean and dragged a heap of moisture out of there. That sort of gave a fair bit of rain up to those northern areas. Then we had one on the 20th, which was a, a bit more simple. It was just an upper level trough, which was once again, it's really just a fancy word really for a moisture pathway that's bringing moisture from the tropics down. And once again, that came into the northern areas. And then on the 24th, we had a much complex event where we had both a low, which was attached to a, a front, uh, and it was a trough for having a connection into northern Australia, where there was plenty of tropical moisture up there too. So it was really a linking of you know a number of different events that combined all added up to make November a sort of a, a terrible month for harvest. Yeah, absolutely. So is this something to do with the climate change that we're seeing, or uh, was it just at the wetter latter side of the cycle? It's a good question, Tim, because... Because if the ocean's warmer than normal, uh, it, it has to evaporate more moisture than normal. The question, was the ocean to the north of Australia warmest that it could possibly be? Well, that, that wasn't the case. It was certainly warmer than normal, but it certainly wasn't a record level of warmth uh, in November of this year. The other thing is if the, if the atmosphere is warmer, it can hold more moisture. So we nearly always get heavier rain in summer than you do in winter. Mm -hmm. And that's because summer air is warmer and warm air can be more tropical. It's got the ability to hold more moisture. So you've got just the timing of that in November. The air was definitely able to be warmer. It's got, it's capable of, of holding more moisture as well. And so they're factors that have climate change overlays in them and that they all accentuate if things are a bit warmer. Well, I, my gut feel is though that what we saw was probably just, just something that was really quite wet. Um, um, yeah, absolutely. In those northern parts. Yeah. yeah, and that, uh, I mean, I guess that's what makes uh, what you do exciting is trying yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to, to predict and come up with uh, when we're going to see some of these things happen. So putting everything we've discussed into a wider context, um, Let's just back the card up a little bit. We may have, we may have covered this uh, to some extent, but where does South Australia's weather actually come from? You know, where is it made and what goes into us getting rain or not? Well, the, the absolute vast amount of South Australia's rainfall evaporates off the ocean somewhere to the north of you. So the, so the ocean temperature has to be above sort of 24 degrees to evaporate any kind of meaningful amount of water evaporation off it. And in reality, that 24 degree line is around about the Tropic of Capricorn. So that's that's nowhere near the grain growing areas of South Australia. That's a long way north. We're talking tropical areas here. And what is interesting is that the, the ocean temperatures don't change that much, particularly along the equator. What the vagaries of things like the Indian Ocean Dipole and the El Nino La Nina Southern Oscillation, what they do is that they change the temperature of those oceans to the north of Australia by some sort of one or two degrees. And you might think that, gee, well, that doesn't sound like much. Dale, that, uh, how could a one to two degree temperature change 
remotely affect the world's climate. And the, the thing is that in the tropical ocean, where the ocean actually doesn't change temperature that much, um, a change from 26 to 28 degrees actually makes a massive difference to the amount of evaporation off the ocean. It, it more than doubles it. it it's just um, you're on an exponential curve there that, you know, when the temperature is only 16 or 17 degrees, you know, they're getting very little evaporation and it doesn't change much going by that one degree. But when you're at 24 to 25 degrees, you get a bit more evaporation off that. But if you change something from 26 to 27 or 27 to 28 or even at 30 or something, uh, you're getting massive amounts of evaporation off that. And so that's that's where the moisture comes from. Um, so there's moisture source zones. It might come as a surprise to people to find out that the major moisture zone for Eastern Australia is quite counterintuitively the Coral Sea. <laughs> and everyone's going, thinking now, wait up, wait up, Dale. Our rain comes from the west. That that can't. How could that possibly be? Um, well, the very warmest ocean in the world is out there in the Coral Sea. So it's evaporating the most moisture. And the trade winds, they blow that moisture along and they can blow that right across through north of Australia. That moisture can go into the Indian Ocean and then it gets picked up. And we see the classic northwest cloud band are coming down. And, and we look at the map and we go, gee, that moisture has to be coming out of the Indian Ocean because we see the cloud forming there. But the cloud is really just a physical manifestation of where the atmosphere is at the right condition to allow moisture to condense and we can see it. It doesn't really tell us where that moisture originally evaporated from. But that's not to say that other oceans like the Arafura Sea to the north of us, north of Darwin, and the Timor Sea and the eastern Indian Ocean out there off Indonesia are not also important. They absolutely are. And I would beggar to guess that the further west you go in South Australia, such as the Air Peninsula, that Indian Ocean evaporation from that zone, I suspect you're getting a blend of both. The zones are complex though, Tim, because you, you need two things to get rain. You need a moisture source and you need a trigger. You need something to lift moisture up into the atmosphere to get it to fall out. Uh, and our triggers down here in the south are things like low pressure systems and fronts. And our transport mechanisms are things like those upper level troughs and those moisture troughs, those highways that, that get the moisture uh, to come down. And what these, these climate drivers of ours have got this uncanny ability to do is that things like La Nina and the negative Indian Ocean dipole, when the water is warmer to the north of Australia, have the ability to not only switch their moisture zone on, but they've got the ability to push the high pressure systems away and cause more trigger mechanisms like lows to drift through to get a connection to that moisture. So they, they work at it both ways. Uh, and things like the positive Indian Ocean Dipole and the El Nino have got this terrible ability to cool the ocean to the north of Australia down by one or two degrees and put that big blocking high that we often see just sitting right over the top of South Australia and all the lows and the fronts have to go underneath. They're smashing New Zealand, but they're missing, you know, southern Australia. Plenty to digest there, Dale, and I can uh, I can I can see it now. Mate, there's phones out searching some of these words and looking at maps and seas, and there'd be people sitting there going, "I had no idea." No, when what we did start he just talking. say, Tim? Well, <laughs> now that we talk, say? there's no doubt we could all agree our weather's an amazing complex and and certainly an interlocking system, as you just explained. Easy for people to get a sense of the weather at their place, but climate's also about regional phenomena and how they influence our weather. We're going to ask Dale Gray to explain some of those major drivers right after this short break. Don't go away. 
you're after used farm machinery, you know you have to keep your eyes open. And at Ramsey Brothers, our services go far beyond putting you in the right machine for the job. We can help with inspections, finance, transport and even installation, operator training and ongoing support too. So, at the end of the day, it all adds up to fewer headaches or hidden costs. It makes sense to start and end your used farm machinery search at ramseybrothers.com.au or call a Ramsey Brothers branch today. Ramsey Brothers Used Machinery, great gear, legendary backup. Welcome back to Ramsey Radio, and today we're having a chat about the weather, uh, and we're speaking with Ag Victoria Climate Specialist, Dale Gray. Dale, I know there's subtle differences between climate and weather, uh, but we seem to hear a lot about major climate drivers in our daily weather forecasts. So if I call a couple out, can you give us a quick explanation of, of what each one is? where it happens and what it means, I guess, in this particular point for South Australia, but Australia, uh, obviously. So uh, blocking highs, what are they and what effect do they have? So the blocking highs are those large high pressures that we often see in winter. They might be 1,030 hectopascals or something like that. And the stronger that high pressure is, the slower it moves. Um, No weather system goes through a high pressure. They can only go around them. So the big blocking high pressure, if it's sitting over South Australia, is a blocker to the weather patterns. Uh, but you can get blocking high pressures that are helpful, particularly when they sit out over eastern New South Wales for you or the Tasman Sea, and they can just constantly be feeding northerly wind or and moisture from the tropics down, and they might sit there for two or three days, uh, and you can get a lot of rain over a short period of time because that high pressure is not moving. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of a blocker to just the actual systems passing through at their normal speed. Right, uh, so we, we'll put a tick there and go blocking high over New South Wales, great for South Australia. Potentially, that's exactly. No good for them, but all right for you, yeah. Roger, we'll move to the next one. Enzo, La Nina and El Nino. Well, much, much maligned, uh, absolutely, and must, much often under, misunderstood. It's re- we're talking really about a phenomenon that goes on in the Pacific Ocean, and in fact, the central Pacific Ocean, where the ocean temperature changes by one to two degrees, uh, the wind directions change, the pressure patterns change, the cloud patterns change. When we have El Nino, which is often what we'd call the, the dry phase of that, the ocean is quite warm. Uh, it's really a reversal of the normal pattern. Uh, the trade winds, which normally blow from east to west, start going from west to east. The cloud that would be normally sitting somewhere over the Solomon Islands gets pushed much further east than that. And we would have much higher pressure over northern Australia and we would have a negative southern oscillation index or the negative SOI. So it's really that change in the ocean temperature and the change in the pressure conditions that makes it harder to get moisture down and often sets up those big blocking highs over the top of us. The La Nina is completely the reverse of that. We've got colder water in the Pacific. We've got trade winds cranking and blowing much stronger, blowing much warmer water to the north of Australia and holding it there. And as a result of that, we've got more evaporation, we've got lower pressure, and we have a positive Southern Oscillation Index. Uh, I suppose what's interesting is that El Nino has never equaled drought in South Australia and it's never equaled flood. There is everything in between, but what it classically does is it spins up the odds that it will be drier, particularly in the months between May and 
October, but we'd probably normally see formation in August and winter and actual formation affecting the climate in spring. Nothing really we, important there, I was going to say. Dale, just through the months of not a lot of growing done through those months. Not, not critical months of the no. South Australian cropping season whatsoever. No, um, okay, I love this one, the IOD, mate, the Indian Ocean Dipole. Yeah, so it's really the El Nino-La Nina phenomena of the Indian Ocean. So we have the positive Indian Ocean Dipole. Let me tell you, Tim, there's usually nothing positive about the positive IOD because that's the that's the dry phase, likely. That's the uh, that's like the El Nino in the Pacific. We have much colder water off the island of Sumatra in Indonesia. Off Indonesia, we have much warmer water off the coast of Africa. Because the warm water is off Africa, that's where the warm ocean is evaporating and we get descending cold, dry air coming down over Indonesia. And that does two things. It, it switches off that Indian Ocean moisture source and it's also damn good at putting those dirty big highs sitting over the top of us uh, as well. The negative Indian Ocean dipole is the opposite of that. You've got much warmer than normal water around Sumatra. You've got much colder water off the coast of Africa. It's the very best thing for setting up northwest cloud band activity, that negative IOD. And once again, the, this is a phenomenon that will only occur between the months of May and November. It won't be occurring outside of those. And it's most likely going to form in winter and be acting in winter into spring. That's, you know, that's probably its purple patch. Another one quickly, the southern annular mode. Well, even less understood and a newer comer on the block, the southern annular mode is, is a measure of how fast the wind spins around Antarctica. If the wind spins faster, it's called a positive southern annular mode, and it's like sucking the water down the plug hole. It will be pulling the low-pressure systems and the fronts further south away from mainland Australia. The negative southern annular mode is if the those winds slow down. Uh, and what they do is allow the storm fronts and the tracks to come closer to mainland uh, Australia. So the southern annular mode is one of those climate drivers that affects the triggers. For South Australia, it's a climate driver that is most likely in effect in winter. And to be honest, mostly down in the southeast of the state. It's not to say that the southern annular mode does not affect the air peninsula or the mid-north, but for every time it does, there's a time it's doing nothing. So it's, you know, it's a bit more hit and miss. Fantastic. And who would have thought we could have used the terminology hit and miss when we're talking about the weather and the weather <laughs> You heard it here first, yeah? Absolutely. So um, just, just quickly on that, you know, we've recently experienced, um, you know, ridiculous uh, amounts of rain, record rainfalls in certain hmm. parts of, you know, eastern South Australia. Um, what's driven that? Well, that's, I'm pretty sure there's a, you're looking at a La Nina effect there as well, Tim. So we've, the oceans to the north are warmer at the moment and you've got lower pressure up in the tropics and you've just managed to get the right trigger coming through to get hooked up with a massive amount of rain. Like it would be not, wouldn't be uncommon for Roma or Townsville to get rainfall like that. That'd be normal wet season rainfall. But 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 what La Nina does, it essentially shifts the tropics down to us, and we've experienced okay. a heap of tropical like weather, terrible humidity. Um, oh, absolutely, and, and that's the other thing that's come with it. It literally is or has, or it was, like being in the tropics. Once everyone had got past the fact that that much rain had fallen, it was like, 
this humidity can turn itself down whenever it likes yeah, to. Yeah, no, that'd be uh, – we don't do humidity down here in the southern states. We don't cope with that very well at all. Uh, and our swampy air conditioners basically turned them off. They were useless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the um, – yeah, it, it, every, everything just moves further south. And the, and the last time we saw that, I'm not sure about South Australia, but at least in Victoria, we saw that in the La Nina of 2011 and 11-12. But once again, it was La Nina that was driving that. And we, we basically saw the tropics shift many hundreds of kilometres, if not thousands of kilometres further south, just for those times to cause those really big rainfall events. Um the obvious question I've got, and I'm sure plenty of the listeners have as well, what are your thoughts, mate, on how this year will shape up weather-wise? Well, the first thing I think I'd like to say, Tim, is that is that this time of the year is the worst time to be saying anything useful. Um, we've got some fundamentals that go on, particularly in autumn, which are a challenge to climate prediction. Uh, and that's because the Pacific Ocean will be reverting back from whatever it did last spring and summer and reverting back to normal. And so at the moment, we have this weak La Nina condition, and that looks like it's becoming a bit unstable now. It's most likely going to start breaking down, and it will give us no indication of what it's going to do in winter and spring of the coming year. It could go either way. The other thing we have at the moment is that the Indian Ocean is quite warm, uh, but we're in the tropical monsoon season. And when the tropical monsoon season is going, there's no possible way an Indian Ocean dipole can form. So it won't be, you know, early May until you get any sort of a sniff about what might happen in the Indian Ocean. Now, this is completely frustrating to everyone, Tim, because we're going to be planting crops, we hope, in April and early May. But our lot in life in Australia, in the, in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, is that, that at that time of the year, we get the least useful information. Dale. Absolutely fascinating conversation today. And I really want to thank you for coming on Ramsey Radio to share your time and, and more importantly, um, share yeah. your knowledge with us. Cool. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, I, I can give you a sneak peek that the, the predictions in my newsletter, which will be coming out soon, um, there's still half the models are predicting that the rainfall could be higher than normal for South Australia in the coming three months. And the rest of them are sitting on the fence saying anything could happen. Um, and that's almost certainly due to the fact that those oceans are still much warmer to the north of us. And until that doesn't guarantee anything, is once if we don't get the triggers to come through, you can't get a connection. But but at least it's part of the puzzle. If you've got if that lower well, you've pressure, got a starting, you've got a you've starting got a starting point. point. You're part yeah. of the part of the ingredients for the recipe for rain is a decent moisture source, and the, currently we've got that, and that doesn't look like falling apart anytime soon. Mate, you made reference to um, your newsletter. Uh, we talked about it at the start, and that's uh, exactly what I want to get across now. So if any of our listeners that don't subscribe want to subscribe to the Fast Break newsletter, how do they do it? Well, it's um, probably the easiest thing is to jump on one of their search engines and ju just put in the Fast Break Agriculture Victoria into something like Google or something, and you'll it'll come up in one of the top two hits. Dale, thanks again. And, uh, mate, really uh, enjoyed having you on. And potentially we can uh, look at hooking you up for another episode just for a uh, update. Why not, Tim? Uh, that, that'd be great. I've, I've had a lot of fun. It's been good. Uh, and just yeah, all the best to you uh, people over there. Um, I hope the season can come through for you this year. Absolutely, mate. And to all of you, thanks for listening to Ramsey Radio and our episode today. I'm sure you found it interesting uh, as I did and have. Uh, and we have plenty more conversations like this one coming up. 
So be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, comment, share, and tell your friends. Like I say at the end of every episode, we're here for you and for our fantastic ag industry. So if there's something you want us to talk about, please shoot us a note and let us know. In the meantime, I'm Tim Glover. I hope you'll join me for our next Ramsey Radio episode. And as always, good farming and stay safe. You've been listening to Ramsey Radio, brought to you by Ramsey Brothers. Find this and all our podcasts on your preferred podcast app or on our website at ramseybros.com.au. Thank you.